invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to Mark 5, if you would. I'd like to start out today by giving you just a overview of the framework that really guides us through this passage and some of the key themes that I think are absolutely necessary for us to understand if we're going to get the message that Jesus wants us to grasp this morning. The first one is, and you might have, when I read the scripture earlier, you might have wondered why the detail of 12 was in there. Did you catch that when I read it a little earlier? Uh, Mark wants us to make sure that we got that. In verse 25, he talked about a woman who had a discharge of blood. And then he throws in this detail that she had it for 12 years. At the end of the text, the little girl that died and was raised again, the Bible wants us to know, and it kind of puts it in parentheses in the ESV, that she was 12 years old. And you read the text and you say, you know, why do we really need to know those things? Why is it that she was 12 years suffering and the girl was 12 years old? Well, that number 12 is used 15 times in Mark's gospel. 11 out of the 15, the vast majority of them, describe the 12 disciples. That's probably the most noted and most uh, commonly understood use of it in the Gospels. Um, but the other four are what is intriguing. Now, I understand, and you do too, that a little earlier in Mark's Gospel, Jesus calls his true family, he calls, this is my mother, my father, my sister, my brother. If you're my disciple, you're in my family. He makes that great claim in chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. And so I think he's building on it here because his disciples are his true and greatest family. And so Jesus is using the number 12 when he refers to the disciples saying, this is my family. This is the new people of God. Jesus is building that around himself. Now, you know, the family of God, the people of God in the Old Testament also were described by the number 12. That was the 12 tribes of Israel. And that was built around Abraham, and it was their physical lineage from him, right? They are passed on through Abraham. They are of his seed. And so to be the people of God, outwardly in the Old Testament, you had to be part of the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob. In the temple, there were 12 pillars representing them, and they had 12 leaders. And 12 was a big number in the Old Testament, representing God's people. Jesus says, see, I'm creating a new people. Not a people that's built around their physicality and their relationship to Abraham. But I'm building a new family of people with the number 12 that are based upon their relationship with me, like my disciples. Not the physical relationship, but a different kind of relationship, a spiritual relationship. The other four uses of the number 12 in Mark's gospel, obviously two in our passage, and then there are just two others. One is in Mark 6.43, and the other one is in Mark 8.19. And they are used to describe the leftovers of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Two times it's mentioned, and both of them it's recorded this. He asked the disciples, how many baskets of bread were left over? And each time they say, come on, 12, right? 12 disciples, 12 years she waited to be healed, 12 years old, 12 baskets of bread. Why? Because Jesus is making a people around him, people who follow him. And here's what he wants you to know. If you want to be in that family, if you want to enter this new community of God, here's how you have to get in. You have to eat 
him. You have to eat the bread of life which he offers. And then he wants to tell us in our passage today, and who can do that? Who can be part of God's new family in Christ? Who can have this living bread? And he wants you and I to know this morning this, anyone See, you can have a disease 12 years. You can be a child 12 years. You can have disease and you can have death. But see, it's your relationship to Jesus. And what's key in this passage is the two times, both stories. Here's what Jesus says. You want to be connected to me? You want to be part of my new family? Here's what you need. Can I say it? The only thing that you need, faith. In both stories, Jesus commends them to put their faith in him. He says to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. He says to the woman, go your way, be healed of your disease. Your faith has made you well. See, that's how you have to get into the new family. That's how you do it. You eat the bread of life. You come to Jesus, you put your faith and trust in him. And that connects you to his healing power, his purifying power that can change your life. Now, this is a really cool story. I don't know. They do this in movies. I've seen it in books. But it's kind of a story within a story. Uh, Commentators call this sandwiching because there's two stories, one on top of each other, and they kind of go back and forth between the two. Kind of like at the end of Mark's gospel, you got the story of Jesus on trial And then it switches over right in the middle of it to Peter being around the fire and denying him. And then it switches back to Jesus. And you kind of got this story within a story. But don't miss it. Even though that's true, here's what both stories teach. You have to have faith to connect to Jesus, to have his purifying power make you part of his family. See, only faith, can I say it to you this morning? Only faith in Jesus and Jesus alone can connect you to his purifying power. Only that can make you part of his new family that he's asking you to be in. So let's take a look at the text this morning and see what we have to realize in order for us in our lives to come to the point where we make that connection. Maybe you're here this morning and you're interested in Jesus and maybe you're pursuing him. Maybe you've been in church for a long time and you've heard the messages, but you've never really connected to him. You've never really put your faith in him. See, this message this morning is for you. So what do you have to realize? There are three things in these two stories combined that teach us about how you connect to Jesus by faith and as a result know his purifying power and be in his family. The first one is this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. This, these two stories are the last story in a series of four that we've looked at. They're all boat stories. Jesus was on this side of the sea. He came to that side. He went to this side and now he's come back to the other side. So this is the last one. And here's what it does. Like all the other ones we've looked at, it's a comparison and a contrast between the two main characters in the story and about the power or the powerlessness they have. Now, you couldn't get in this story, these two stories put together, you couldn't get two people that were more opposite of one another. They are polar extreme opposites. You have the woman, and she's had this disease for 12 years, and because of it and going to the doctors, she's flat out broke. I mean, she's poor. The Bible says in verse 26, she spent all. Believe it or not, it's the same word used in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son when he had wasted all of his inheritance. It said, 
He had spent all. In other words, she had nothing left. So she's poor, but Jairus, who comes to Jesus with his daughter's condition, he's very wealthy. He's a religious leader. He's got it all together. So you got a poor woman who's a woman in society, doesn't have nearly the, the uh, respect that men do at this point. And you have Jairus, who is a very respected man. You have her, the woman, she's a social outsider, Right? Here's why. Because when you are unclean from a discharge of blood, read it in Leviticus for yourself, every single thing she touched becomes unclean, including her husband, if she had one, her children. If she sat on a chair, it became unclean. Socially, she's an outsider. No one wants to be with her. No one wants to be around her. And it isn't just for 12 days or 12 months. 12 years, she's become an outcast. To the average person, she would be someone that would be abhorrent to you, and you wouldn't have a problem making her know that. But see, Jairus is a social insider. He is a ruler of the synagogue. He is in the local town. He's kind of like the pastor of the church. I mean, this guy, everyone likes him, everyone loves him, they respect him. He is clean in that sense, ceremonially, and everybody wants to be around him. Their lives are completely different. But worse than of all is that she's spiritually excluded. If you have an ongoing problem physically, you can't go to synagogue You cannot enter the temple. You know what that means? You are not acceptable when it comes to worshiping God. You can't go there like everybody else. So on church on Sunday morning, you stay home and everybody else goes. And you're by yourself. And it's a constant weekly reminder that you aren't good enough. That you don't have it. And you perpetually don't have it. As the opposite, again, Jairus is a guy who goes to church. He helps run the church. He's a leader in the church. And everybody thinks if this is what everybody else was like, wouldn't the church, quote unquote, the synagogue, be better because this guy's got it all together. See, to come to faith in Jesus, you have to realize that connecting to him and experiencing his purifying power is not about who you are. It's about who he is. See, this woman was a nobody. In fact, we never even realize or are told what her name is. Did you notice in the text? We do know his name, Jairus. Did you read all the miracles of Jesus? You'll find that there hardly ever, if not this, maybe the only one, that a miracle story and the person who was healed or had something to do with it, that their name is actually mentioned. This may be the only one. See, this woman, Mark wants you to know, not only is she an outcast, she's a nobody. We don't even ever know her name. Nobody knows her name. She's isolated because of her problem. But not Jairus. He is known. Everybody, you say his name, people know exactly who he is and all about him. He's somewhat famous in his culture or in his city. See, he's a somebody. But here's what the stories teach us. Both of them, both of them need to come to Jesus if they're going to be made well. See, if you're a nobody or you're a somebody, it doesn't change this reality that Jesus is the only one that can save you. 
Do you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a text, and it tells about in very explicit detail why God chooses people to be saved. Here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Not many wise, not many powerful, not many of noble birth, but God has chosen what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to, 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 to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in his presence. Who does God choose? Not normally the gyruses of this world. Normally, the anonymous people, the people that are low down, the ones that nobody knows and nobody cares about. Why? Because here's the message in Mark 5 and 1 Corinthians 1. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. Listen to the remainder of the text. Here's why he chooses. And because of him, meaning Jesus, you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Why? Because as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know what? You know why he chooses people like that? Because here's what he wants you to know. If you're going to be connected to me, if you want my purifying power, if you want your life revolutionized and changed, you have to come to the realization it's not about anything in you. It's all about what's in him and Jesus. It's because of him, it says. He has everything in him that you need and you don't. He says, so when it's all said and done and he gives you the clean, the cleansing power in your life for your sin, here's what he wants, that you'll boast in him. See, everyone here today boasts in someone. You either, you boast in you or you boast in him. And salvation is simply this, discovering who you are and who he is. It's trading your boasting for you. Instead, you have it for him. See, in order to realize who he is, you have to stop comparing yourself with others. See, this morning, maybe you've never recognized it. You've never, you've ever, you've never really connected to Jesus because you don't really think you need to. See, most of us this morning would say, hey, are you, am I a somebody or the nobody? I'm probably more like the somebody. That's probably what most of us, when you're hearing me talk, yeah, I know the nobodies. That's really sad for them. But you know, with somebodies... And you probably would put yourself in that place. Now, you probably would say, also, I'm not perfect, right? I'm not exactly sinless, but I'm not like that. See, we all think we're somebodies, and here's what God wants you to know. See, you have to say this, that Jesus is the ultimate somebody, and he became a nobody so that he could forgive your sins. See, they both had to come to the realization, I'm a nobody, even Jairus had to come to that place. And that the real somebody, the only somebody that I need is Jesus. See, so the first thing you have to realize if you're going to connect to him, be part of his new family, and have the purifying power of Jesus change your life completely, here's what you have to do. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. Secondly, it doesn't matter what your condition is. Read the text for yourself. Mark is very careful to let us know that both the condition of the woman and of Jairus' daughter 
is desperate. Both of them have been suffering for a long time, just different ways and different degrees. The Bible says that the woman has a flow of blood for 12 years, constantly, constantly passing blood. We're not sure why. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But here's what we know. It doesn't tell us the cause because there isn't one that we know of or she knew of. And here's the worst part. And they don't know the cure either. She suffered from sickness and, did you read the text? She suffered from the doctors. You probably don't take time to read the Mishnah, and I don't blame you. But it's a document from Jesus' time that's been preserved to this day. And in it is a page, literally, about how do you treat someone who has a flow of blood because it's a Levitical problem. And there's a whole page of it. And I didn't read, I'm not going to read the whole page to you, but let me tell you this. They put all kinds of things together, powders, metals, all kinds of stuff that they grind up, and they put water into it, and then you're supposed to drink it. Now, they didn't have the technology we have today. And you read the whole page and say, if, listen, after 12 years, I'm thinking this lady has gone through all of these. She's drank this stuff, and it didn't do anything but make her sick for quite a while, probably. Maybe she hasn't even recovered from some of the attempts to heal her. But if she went through this whole page of stuff after 12 years, I can, I can understand why she's so upset. She spent all. See, she has no health. Which, by the way, the discharge of blood means even if she was younger, she couldn't have had children. She can't be around her husband anymore. And if she did have children before, she can't be around them anymore. See, she has no health. She has no help. Nobody physically can be around her or touch her or do anything for her. Seemingly, all of her relational help is gone too because she's out of money and there's nobody giving her any. See, she has no health. She has no help, and the worst of it is she has no hope. You know what the Bible says in verse 26? And was no better, but rather grew worse. Do you feel, not, no, not just here, do you feel the hopelessness of that? Imagine, 12 years she went to the specialist, multiple trips to the Mayo Clinic in Galilee, She's gone there. The best doctors, the best names, the best treatments, nothing. In fact, it didn't keep it even from getting, it just got worse. She's poor. She has nowhere to go. She's flat broke. Do you see it? Here's the idea in your mind. Think of it this way. Mark wants you to paint this picture. She has tried everything, everything, and nothing works. See the contrast? I've done everything. And we're, you know what I got? Nothing. Nothing out of it. I've got nothing left because of it. She is flat out empty, desperate, ready to give up. Have you ever been there? Have you? You're trying to find a cure for your emptiness? Oh, it may not be like hers. It may not be a disease. May not be a blood issue, but you would say, Pastor Walker, if you would have the transparency to do so, I've tried everything. 
I've tried everything to fill the emptiness inside of me. See, I've tried the career thing, and I got the promotions, and I got the next raise, and the next raise, but it didn't do it. Success, I, I got the success. I got the degrees behind my name. I got the corner office. See, I, the success, I got the money. I got the money, and I, and I was able to buy the boat, and I had the house and the two-car garage. I had those things. See, and then I said, it's empty. And so then you said, what's next? And so you tried to find true love, and you found it for five months until the next person you needed come along. I tried it, Pastor Walker, I, I thought I could find it in being popular and all my friends would accept me and I had so many people following me on Facebook. But it never was enough, so I tried some other things. Maybe I thought more powerful things and so I thought I could get it from sexual pleasure or you know, bigger vacations and I thought if I could just own this, if I could have this stock or this account, you know, if I, oh, and then I thought, if I, it's children I need. And so I had a couple. See, I've tried it all, everything, Pastor Walker, people, power, pleasure, pills, I've done it all. And I'm here to tell you this morning, like her, I've suffered from it, and it's getting worse. It's not getting any better, and none of them, none of them have changed my condition. I've tried all the next things. See, Jairus, see, he was desperate too. Imagine this this morning. You have a 12-year-old daughter who's the apple of his eye, and he calls her daughter, which means little girl, it's a pet name, and Jesus calls her that later on in Aramaic, Talitha Kum. It means little girl is often talked about as being a little lamb. That's how he, she was to him. This is his little lamb. This is his little girl, maybe his only child. Imagine having this, telling someone, my 12-year-old child is on hospice. Imagine that. But that's where she is. So it doesn't surprise us in verse 22 and in verse 33, both the woman and Jairus find their way to Jesus' feet. They see him, they fall down at his feet, they're prostrate on the ground. You know why? They're desperate. They've gone through it all. See, they tried everything. Can you see the pattern in all the stories we've been following? The calm, the storm, nobody could calm it. Do you see that? No one could calm it. You see the, the demonized guy? No one had the strength to subdue it. You see the hopelessness? You, no one could calm the storm. No one could subdue him. No one could heal her disease. No one could help this little girl. No one. You see, it's hopeless. And you know why people come to church sometimes? You know why perhaps you're here? Because you're hopeless. Everything has turned into nothing. See, to connect to Jesus... And experience his healing, cleansing power, you have to come to the end of your rope. You have to come to the end of yourself. You have to realize that the worst part of your problem is not the disease part, it's the pride part. The pride part. See, this morning, listen, you haven't come to Jesus, some of you, and you've never put your faith in him. And you know why? Because you're still trying to save yourself. You're still going around to the doctors. You haven't come to the last one. You haven't run out of money yet. You haven't come to the place where in humility you've grasped this truth that the world has no cure for you. And you're still empty. You're still looking for answers to fill the void that's inside of you with things outside of you. 
You haven't come to the realization yet that no one and nothing can help you other than Jesus. You haven't been desperate yet. Remember the paralytic? He was so desperate that they tore a hole off someone's roof in the top and he got put down in front of Jesus right in the middle of his sermon. Are you that desperate? See, you have to be. She became desperate for Jesus, and here's what she had to learn, that he's not just an alternative to the things that haven't worked. See, people want to come to Jesus, and they come to church and say, hey, maybe if I come to Jesus, and I'll get an experience, and it'll make my life better, and I'll get some meaning. I've tried this, this, and this. Yeah, I've tried all these things, and now it's my turn to try Jesus. See, that's not salvation. That woman had to come to the realization he's not an alternative to all the other things that hasn't worked. She had to realize this. He's the only source of healing there really is. He couldn't, she couldn't just use Jesus to get her salvation. She had to come to him as her salvation. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard this morning to think this. I'm too weak. See, I can't be powerful enough. I can't be religious enough. I can't be moral enough. You have to see, if you're going to connect to Jesus' purifying power and have him change your life, here's what you have to say. Without you, Jesus, I can't be healed. Without you. So it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who he is. Number two, it doesn't matter what condition you're in. You need him. And lastly, it doesn't matter how small your faith is. See, in both stories, neither one of these people, either Jairus or the woman, they never have great faith. Well, they have it, but it's not strong. And the amount of it's not great. See, in the woman, the Bible says in verse 27, she heard reports about Jesus. See, there's a common belief going around in Mark chapter 1 and 2, many times, 11 times actually, throughout Mark, before this event and after this event, many people touched Jesus. They touched the hem of his garment. The Bible says in the New Testament, the book of Acts, that people said if they could just touch Paul's work clothes, they'd be saved. If you could just have Peter's shadow come by and they could touch his shadow. See, there was this belief that if you could touch someone who had that kind of power, that you could be healed. And she heard reports of it. People, she wasn't the first to do this. Others had. And she heard that Jesus, if she could touch him, that he had the power to purify her. See, she's got information about him. She knows things. See, you know things, don't you? You know things about Jesus. And here's the scariest part. Listen, please don't miss this. The scariest part of this text is that there's a bunch of people crowded around Jesus and he's walking to Jairus' house and they're thronging him. I mean, they're so close to him that Peter just blows his mind when Jesus has this dialogue with him, who touched me? He goes, you've got to be kidding, Jesus. Everybody's touching you. Do you hear what Mark's saying? There are a lot of people who are close to Jesus on that day. A lot of people that were near to him. Only one touched him by faith. You know what scares me as pastor sometimes? That we have lots of people, young people, teenagers, adults. See, they come to our church and Jesus inspires them. 
See, they admire him. So you come to church on Sunday and you get close to him. He's near. You see things about him. You learn things about him. See, you go to church and you have Bible studies and you can be close to him and never touch him. Never touch him. Never really connect with him. So let me ask you point blank. Have you ever really touched him by faith? See, you've heard the reports, haven't you? You've heard the Sunday school lessons. You've heard the messages like today. You've heard the facts. You know the truth. You know the claims of who he says he is. You've seen his power in people's lives. You've gotten close. But you've never reached out in faith to touch him. Because you've never said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and you're my only hope. You notice what, the, what Jesus says to the woman? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Do you know that the only time the word daughter is used in all the gospels in any way other than a physical relationship is this text? He's not, she's not his daughter. But what did we say from the beginning? What's the number 12 about? See, he's making a new people. A new family that's centered around him. And on the day that she's healed, in fact, the word make you well earlier that he speaks to her is the word sozo. It means I can save you. See, I cannot just heal you outside. I can heal you inside. It's a holistic move of God. See, here's what he says. Welcome to the family. You know why? Because your faith has made you well. Now, she came up to Jesus doubting. She didn't know if he would want to do it. In fact, she didn't even go up to him and ask him because she wasn't sure that he would do it if she came directly to him. So here's what she does. She tries to do it secretly and touch him in a crowd. Why? She wasn't really sure what would happen. She didn't really know if the reports were true. She had information and she trusted what she did know. See, she didn't have a faith that was strong but it wasn't the strength of her faith that mattered in the end. It was the object of her faith. And that object of her faith was Jesus. That she now knows this much who he is and what he can do. And she believed it. And he says, daughter, welcome to the family. Jairus didn't have much faith either. He had a little bit more before his daughter died, but when they bring the word, hey, don't bother it anymore. You know why? Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus says, listen, don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Don't let death stop you from thinking that you can still trust me. You know, when I was growing up, we used to get the Billy Graham crusade started it. They always, the invitation song was just as I am. Remember that? Just as I am, though tossed about. With many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, oh, Lamb of God, I come, I come. See the, the woman, plenty of doubt. See Jairus, many fears. Is that you this morning? Can I tell you this? Don't let your fears and don't let your doubts of giving your life to Jesus and trusting him, don't let that keep you from coming because there is no connecting if there is no coming. See, come to Jesus, believe that he has the ability and power to purify your heart from your sin. 
See, we've seen the contrast in all of our stories. He's got power over demons. He's got power over disease. He has power over death. And can I tell you this? He has power over depravity. He has power over everything, including all of your sin and mine. And so the woman touches Jesus, and then he touches the girl. See, that's the cool thing about Jesus. You can touch him, and he also touches you. He raises up the little girl, and he grabs her by the hand and says, Talitha kum, you rise. See, he touches because God in Jesus is not only this transcendent power that has power over storms and demons and disease. He's that awesome to the point where they don't even know who he is. He's so powerful, but yet he's a God. Not only is he transcendent in power, he's imminent. He gets down with little girls and reaches and grabs their hand. See, he's not a cosmic deity that's adverse to understanding your problems. He's up close and near, and he knows all of your hopelessness this morning. He knows that you're about to wave the white flag, throw in the towel. He knows where you're at, and he cares, and he brought you here this morning, and he's reaching out to touch you. He wants you to come to faith. Surprisingly, and I'll close with this, the story in the last healing miracle, the girl from dead, Only three disciples are allowed in, and the mom and the dad and Jesus. Why? Because it's a picture, isn't it? Only family can come in that day. What kind of family? Well, her physical family, her mom and dad come in, but her most important family is there, Jesus and his three disciples. Because what have we learned? Disciples are the true measure of family. And Jesus said, see, I put this daughter in my family, the woman who had the issue of blood, and now this little girl, she's in the family too because he says to her, daughter, little lamb, see how tender he is? Rise. Do you see what he says at the end? Did you see? He says, as she starts walking around, he says, give her something to eat, and you go, that's anticlimactic, isn't it? No, not if you're the dad. What do you do? You say that kind of stuff to people in your family. Right? Give her something to eat. She has to be hungry. Why? That's what family does. See what Jesus is doing? He's teaching us. This is my new family. See, people who have been diseased, people who have to be raised from the dead, people who are hopeless and have no hope. See, that's what makes up my family. And see, Jesus says, I'm inviting you today. Join our family. Join the family of the kingdom. Join the gospel family. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what condition you're in. It doesn't matter how feeble your imperfect faith might be as long as you put it in me. Because here's what Jesus says. You see the dead girl? I'm going to raise more than her. See, my death is going to conquer that too, all death. Can I tell you this morning, the only death that can hurt you is eternal death. And if you have Jesus, you know what he says? Don't worry about death. It's just sleep when I'm around. It's just sleep. Have you ever put your faith and trust in him? Have you ever said, Jesus, just as I am, this is who I am, this is the condition I am, I don't have a lot of faith, but Jesus, I recognize who you are and what you've done when you died on the cross and rose again, and today is the day, today is the day I put my faith and trust in you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those here today They've been near you, close to you, but they've never by faith touched you. They've never reached out to you. 
as their only hope of forgiveness of sins, the only hope of eternal life, the only hope of being connected with you and to know your purifying power, the only way to be in your family. I pray today that you would take this word, as Hebrews says, mix it with faith and allow the Holy Spirit of God to open their eyes to who you are and what you've done, that they too might, by faith, join our family of followers. And we'll give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.